Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Hey, so I want to talk about love and expand on this idea of divine love and and how that is a part of this season. And I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed the John 316 banners at football games or sporting events? Anybody? Is this just me? Am I just, okay, good. I'm not shamelessly projecting. I remember as a kid seeing these, and we didn't grow up going to church, so I didn't really quite know what the significance was or why it was there, but I knew that at least for Christians it had uh, uh, some significant import. So I did a little digging. And this practice first leapt into popular culture in the 1970s when born-again Christians began holding up the John 3.16 signs at stadiums as a way of spreading the gospel. At least this is according to a professor at Boston University School of Theology. Now, for many, especially in the evangelical movement, it provides the most concise expression of the Christian faith. And in the King James Version of the Bible, it reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, this verse also appears from time to time, like you may have noticed, on banners on overpasses or yard signs. And it's even shown up on printed shopping bags from the clothing store Forever 21 and cups from fast food chain the In-N-Out Burger. Now, in 2009, you might recall the uh, national championship collegiate game with Oklahoma Sooners and Florida Gators, and Tim Tebow had John 3.16 written under his eyes in black. So that was another way of bringing this evangelical expression of this faith to popular culture. So one thing I really enjoy and appreciate about this one isolated verse taken up out of Scripture is it links five things. God, love, the world, the idea of the Son, and the idea of eternal life. And because love is central to this quote and this phrase, I wanted to address it on the Advent Week of Love. Now, I want to give a unity, and throughout uh, many of the New Thought families of faith, the Bible is our central textbook, same as with the other Christian uh, traditions. However, the way in which we utilize the Bible and the way in which we interpret it and teach Bible allows for multiple levels and multiple ways of understanding that we may not find in some of the other more clearly defined denominations. In other words, we don't have a one-size-fits-all interpretation of any scripture, but rather we encourage men and women and children to look with that guiding spirit of truth within to discern and determine what might a passage or a story mean to me today, or how might I see this story alive in the world today? That's the, what we call the living curriculum, which is how we teach scripture to young people. So how is this alive? How is this vibrant? And just as equally important, we allow our interpretations to change and grow and expand over time because over time we are changing and growing and expanding thanks to a pandemic over time. And we want to be sure 
that our capacity to understand the world, understand ourselves, and understand the interplay of spirit in the world is continuing to grow and mature. Now, I also want to remind everybody that it is imperative that we be respectful of the faith of others and remain open to learning from others. I do a lot of interfaith work here in the county, and I think it's important uh, for us to realize that in interfaith work and ecumenical work, that respect is imperative because respect allows us to create a world that works for everyone. Problems arise in the world, in our communities, in our organizations, when there is a lack of respect, when there is an unwillingness to listen to somebody else's experience, or if we do hear it, to rule it out of hand and say, oh, that didn't really happen. It takes a great amount of consciousness and willingness to listen respectfully. But my goodness, when we do, we can deepen in relationship and find common ground that allows us all to work together for the common good. Well, I love history, and I love to see how historically, uh, how historic events shape and form our faith and our worldview. So let's take a quick look at this phrase, this verse, John 3.16, from a historical point of view. Now, scholars, at least those in the Jesus Seminar, contend that the book of John um, and was written around the year 100 of the Common Era. It is one of the four canonical gospels, meaning officially recognized, uh, along with Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John itself. The author is anonymous and identified only as a disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, bear in mind, according to this dating, this scripture was written probably 70 years after the death of Jesus, or two generations, a generation being 20 years. Now, the book of John also has a very different tenor and flavor from the other three. Interestingly, there are only two nativity stories that tell about the birth of Jesus in the Bible, and those are in Matthew and Luke. There's not one in Mark, and there's not one in John, but John begins very interestingly, which sets up a wonderful way of looking at this particular gospel. And it goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of the people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Now, I'm a little bit of a grammarian, so I have a little challenge with how this is written, but that's beside the point. Clearly, though, the book of John has a very mystical opening. And to scholars, it's debatable how much of John is actually historical fact. But to those of us who are on our faith journey, we recognize and know that in this particular gospel are tremendous spiritual truths, capital T truths, not dependent on facts. And it's there where we in unity find its greatest value. I mean, that opening alone provides enough material for a Sunday talk, but that's a different talk for a different day. I might use that January 2nd. Charles Fillmore, co-founder of the Unity Movement, said in the book The Mysteries of John, which was his writing and interpretation of the entire book, that nowhere in all literature 
has the truth of the unity of God and man and creation been so fearlessly expressed and affirmed by man as in the book of John? Now, this is indeed an incredibly inspiring book, and I encourage you to read it all. And it is one of only two books in which Unity co-founder Fillmore provided an interpretation of the entire text. The other one is The Mysteries of Genesis. Now, Charles Fillmore, in his interpretation of John 3.16, used the American Standard Version of the Bible, which was commonly in use at the time. But I want to share this verse from the New Revised Standard, uh, because it's a little easier to understand to our ears. It's not so many thou's and those and believeth this and, and that sort of stuff. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Ah, there's wonderful symbolism in there. I would, oh, I wish we had more time. I would just address that. One thing I will tell you, though, that the term Son of Man is capitalized. Now, when the Bible is originally written, John, in particular in Greek, we have to realize there was no uh, capitalization. There were no numbers for verses, and in fact, there was no punctuation at all. Historically, what this term son of man meant is the same thing that we would use today to mean a guy or somebody. And because it was related to Jesus, in this instance, it was capitalized to kind of raise the importance. But in other words, we might have just said, hey, there was somebody who uh, descended from heaven. Well, that's an aside. Let's see what Fillmore had to say about this. He said, the text reveals the heart of the glad tidings of Jesus Christ to mankind. In his love, God gave his only begotten son, the fullness of the perfect man idea in divine mind, the Christ, to be the true spiritual self of every individual. That's it in a nutshell. What it's basically what, according to Fillmore, and as we teach in Unity, the only begotten Son isn't necessarily the person of Jesus. It is the idea of the Christ in you, your hope of glory. And this Christ consciousness, this spirit, contains all of the divine ideas that we believe are found in God or in divine mind. All potential, all good, and yes, all love. Fillmore goes on to say, by following Jesus' example of recognizing and acknowledging the Christ in our every thought, word, and deed, thus unifying ourselves with his completeness, the outer becomes as the inner, and we shall be like Christ. I love that. I love this notion that this phrase, this scripture, this verse isn't only about somebody else. This is about you and me. This is another way of saying that you are the only begotten child of God. You are an inheritor of all that God is. And Fillmore's telling us we have to remember that and speak to that and act from that and live from that consciousness. 
which really pulls together the first and second unity principles that we teach, that there's only one power and one presence active in the universe and in my life, God the good. And secondly, that our essence is of God. Therefore, we are inherently good. And this God essence was expressed by Jesus the Christ. You know, here at Christmas time, we celebrate and honor the birth of Jesus the person, the master teacher and way shower, and somebody who embodies Christ's consciousness. And we celebrate every bit as much the realization that that story is your story. It's my story. It's our story. And it's so important for us to realize this and come back to this at year end and remind ourselves of this, because especially after a year like this year, we might be thinking, what in the heck is going on around here? We've been dealing with some big facts. We need to come back to truth to remind ourselves we are bigger than the facts. And we come together in this loving situation to love one another into remembering the truth of who we are. Remembering that this Christ idea is symbolically reborn in us every year. We make a big production of it because it is so important to remember because throughout the course of the year, there's a tidal wave of facts, a tsunami of information that comes at us that would have us to believe something else. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? I'm preaching up here. I need an amen. So when we look at what Jesus did in his life or the stories that come to us, there were the performance of seeming miracles. There was practicing forgiveness. There was teaching about the inclusive nature of the kingdom of God. And there was great overcoming, the overcoming of death itself. So is it possible as individualized expressions of the Christ, is it possible that as each one of us is the only begotten son or daughter or non-binary person of Christ, is it possible that we, that you, that I, can do seeming miracles and accomplish great feats? Is it possible we can engage forgiveness to a level we never thought possible? Is it possible we might open our minds and our hearts to include everybody in the kingdom of God that we are living in right here and right now? And is it possible we can overcome impossible odds? The answer is yes. It is an oh heck yes. And that's why Christmas is a big deal. It is a reminder to us of who we are and who we have come here to be. I mean, you think about it. I mean, how likely is it that we even talk about this Jesus person 2,000 years after his birth? Somebody ostensibly, or we are told, was born in the backwoods in a rural province in what was then the Roman Empire as a subject people. Now, all we got to do, as we say, is, uh, according to Charles Fillmore, is acknowledge Christ in our every thought, word, and deed. Okay, it's all you got to do, job, right? You with me? You, you, so that's your homework. It's all you got to do. Do that this week and you'll be fine. 
But I always wonder myself when I hear these big expressions, be like Christ or imitation of Christ. What does that mean? And how do we do it? I mean, that's the rub, isn't it? You know, we hear these great big expressions and they're inspiring words. And then I think to myself, now, how do I operationalize that? To use a business term. Well, clearly our scriptures record Jesus at his best. You know, miracles and all of that. And they also record him at his not best. And we don't often focus on the stories of Jesus' clearly demonstrated humanity, but they are there. Here's a short list, such as when he cursed a fig tree for not bearing fruit out of season, the story found in Mark and Matthew, or the times he chastised his disciples for being a perverse generation. There's one example in Luke in particular. Or when he himself was chastised by a serial Phoenician woman for not sharing. This is in Matthew 15. Or my personal favorite from Mark chapter 3, when he was suspected by his own family of being crazy. They said he is beside himself. There are any number of other unflattering stories in there as well. And you might be thinking, gosh, Russ, you had me going. It's Christmas. We're getting all excited. And now you're just like making him like one of us. Exactly. Exactly. Because to me, I find it very comforting to consider that when we say that Jesus is the great example, not the great exception, it means I can see evidence in myself, if I'm being honest, of really awesome things. And some that, yeah, not so much. You know, even among those of us who acknowledge and, and adhere to the premise and the, the principle of Christ within or spirit within, have any of us in like fashion ever lost our tempers or acted in ways we kind of wish maybe we hadn't? And isn't it really nice to know that the only begotten son, the model for that, did the same? And we're still talking about him and his influence is still huge? I mean, each one of us is accomplishing amazing feats. I don't know anybody who hasn't done something really amazing and accomplished something really powerful. And maybe not the sort of stuff that makes the news, but stuff that makes a difference. People who have overcome great odds just to be well or to teach a truth to others, or to be examples of living principle, or to just survive really horrific, awful circumstances. Every single person in this room and everyone watching has those stories of what they have done in their own lives to demonstrate what it means to be Christ incarnate. And every single person in this room and every single person watching online has impacted the lives of others in ways that were life-changing and life-affirmative. And don't think that you haven't because you have. That's what we're honoring and giving excitement to and energy to at this Christmas time. And yes, you've done it while incarnating as human beings doing yeah, a few other things as well that we don't want to talk about. In other words, 
You're just showing up in imitation of Christ, embodying love, truth, and all the great values and all these divine ideas while still being a human being. The important thing is that we remember to work our program every day, to come back to center, and to use this time this Advent season and these days of short daylight and longer darkness to remind ourselves of who we are, to remind ourselves of who we are not, to affirm our power and our strength and our capacity to love and to release any pain or regrets or fears or ignorance that we might discover that prevent and preclude us from being our best selves. You know, there's a story told by the sculptor Michelangelo, or the great artist, and someone said, now, how did, were you able to carve an angel out of the stone? And he said, I, he said, I saw the angel in the stone. I just carved away what didn't belong. And it's kind of like that for us. Sometimes we get so attached to our humanity and our stuff and our stories and our dramas and all of that that we lose sight of the fact that there is that same angel in us. So we want to use this, this time of year, this winter season for discernment and utilize self-awareness and forgiveness and intention to be our best selves, to gently chip away and release the attitudes and beliefs we may have accumulated that prevent us from knowing and expressing the magnificence of who we are. So to that end, I've crafted an affirmation that I would like us to share based on the capital T truth of John 3.16. I was sitting there thinking about this, and this just came as like we call a spiritual download. And I wanted to share it with you, and it's on our social media websites as well. I'll read it once, and then I'm going to invite you all to read through with me. In the beginning, the love that God is created me to express itself in the world. I am a conduit for the consciousness of eternal life right here and right now. I allow forgiveness and wholeness to free others and myself from ignorance and fear, to bring hope and healing to humanity and the earth, and to demonstrate peace on earth, goodwill to all. I am an open channel of good, for all creation. I invite you to affirm that with me. In the beginning, the love that God is created me to express itself in the world. I am a conduit for the consciousness of eternal life right here and right now. I allow forgiveness and wholeness to free others and myself from ignorance and fear to bring hope and healing to humanity and the earth, and to demonstrate peace on earth, goodwill to all. I am an open channel of good for all creation. And so it is, and so we let it be. Peace be with you, and namaste.
Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate your donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.